Today's gospel lesson is one of those that makes people a little leery to come to church. To hear the reference to a brood of vipers is not usually good Sunday talk, name-calling and such. But John the Baptist is in the wilderness, and he's calling people to repentance, to turn from their ways, to make way for the one who will follow him, Jesus. And as he is engaging people as they meet him out in the wilderness, some Pharisees and Sadducees come. They want to check this out, what this is all about. And they come in with a little bit of a swagger, a tossing of the hair, looking down over their nose, because you see they're people of God. They're a part of the chosen ones. And so John says to them, Who warned you of the wrath to come? Because the way that you carry yourself, you don't seem to realize what is about to happen. You come saying, hey, we're in. We're children of Abraham. We are descendants from him. So we don't have anything to worry about, but we thought we'd come out and maybe do this too, just in case, even though we really don't need it, because we're children of Abraham. And that is the beef that John has with these Pharisees and Sadducees as they wander out into the wilderness to see what all is taking place. Who warned you, he says, because you need to bear fruit worthy of repentance. You need to recognize and know that God made people from Abraham and God can make faithful followers of God from these stones. So don't use the mercy and goodness of God that you know in your own life to rest on your laurels and say, hey, we got this. No, God wants to see you live a life that reflects the mercy and love of God that's brought you to this place. Indeed, that is what we are challenged to do as followers of Christ. I imagine that any one of us at some time has thought, you know what, I'm good, I'm baptized, I'm in. But what mercy and love was it that allowed you to be baptized? You got in because of God's mercy and love. And so now you, we, are called to reflect that mercy and love of Christ known in our lives as we enter into the world. Paul's letter to Romans is emphasizing the same point. He's speaking to this small band of followers of Jesus. There are probably about 100 people that were of this community in Rome, in a city of at least a million And Paul is letting them know that God is doing big things, calling people into his kinship beyond lines of heredity and blood and tribal identity. That yes, God did call a chosen people in the Hebrew people, and God is still calling people into this kinship. It goes even out to the Gentiles. And for many of those that were listening, this was something close to crazy talk. How could it be? How could God be that generous, that big, that merciful to bring all of these folks in? And what does that mean then for us? Perhaps some of you are aware of the message. It's a paraphrase of the Bible by Eugene Peterson, a minister. He took a sabbatical for a little over a year in a place um, wanting to engage the scripture in a new way, the scripture that he'd read over and over and over again throughout his life. And he wrote this paraphrase of the scriptures. Now, a paraphrase is not really a piece of scripture or, or a thing from which we should study because it's really meant to put it into our own language. 
But biblical scholars do give Peterson a great deal of credit for his paraphrase of the scriptures. He captures the message that's in the text. And I want to share with you his paraphrase of Paul's letter to the Romans, the passage that we read just this morning. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waded right in and helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled, so to speak, is the way scripture puts it. Even if it was written in scripture long ago, you can be sure that it is written for us. God wants the combination of his steady, constant calling and his warm personal counsel in scripture to come to characterize us, keeping us alert for whatever he will do next. May our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. Then we'll be a choir. Not our voices only, but our very lives, singing in harmony in a stunning anthem to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus. So reach out and welcome one another to God's glory. Jesus did it. Now you do it. Jesus, staying true to God's purposes, reached out in a special way to the Jewish insiders so that the old ancestral promises would become true for them. As a result, the non-Jewish outsiders have been able to experience mercy and to show appreciation to God. Just think of all the scriptures that will come true in what we do. For instance, then I'll join outsiders in a hymn sing, I'll sing your name. And this one, outsiders and insiders rejoice together. And again, people of all nations celebrate God, all colors and races give hearty praise. And Isaiah's words, there's a root of our ancestor Jesse breaking through the earth and growing tree tall, tall enough for everyone everywhere to see and take hope. Oh, may the God of green hope fill you up with joy, fill you up with peace so that your believing lives filled with the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit will brim over with hope. Here the inclusivity of God's amazing love and mercy. And Paul's eagerness to see this, this community in Rome reflect that, not only to the Jewish people around them, but to the non-Jewish people as well. Christ came for all. This week, the entire world was made um, aware in a very timely fashion of the death of Nelson Mandela. And his remarkable life continues to reverberate and to be um, interpreted now, even after his death. It is amazing to think of someone who was imprisoned for 27 years to come out in his early 70s from being imprisoned to lead a country, to be the first black president of South Africa, and to do it in such a way that it brought all people together as South African people. You might know that Archbishop Desmond Tutu had a ministry that paralleled Nelson Mandela's. They worked together throughout these decades. 
And Archbishop Desmond Tutu is an Anglican bishop, so he's part of our Anglican communion. He writes in one of his books that there is a tenet of African philosophy that is at the heart of all Africans. And I think we see it made evident in Nelson Mandela's life. It's called Ubuntu. And it addresses a central tenet of African philosophy, which is the essence of what it is to be human. In Archbishop Tutu's, one of his writings, he talks about it in this way. The definition of this concept of Ubuntu has two parts. The first is that the person is friendly, hospitable, generous, gentle, caring, and compassionate. In other words, someone who will use his or her strengths on behalf of others, the weak and the poor and the ill, and not take advantage of anyone. This person treats others as he or she would be treated. And because of this, they express the second part of the concept of Ubuntu, which concerns openness, large-heartedness. They share their worth. In doing so, my humanity is recognized and becomes inextricably bound to theirs. This is what's so powerful in Nelson Mandela's life, that upon coming out of prison, he was able to remember and to claim and to remind people that our lives are inextricably linked. If he were to diminish them, then he himself would be diminished, that we're all joined together. I love the universality of this concept, not only reflected in African philosophy, but also made evident in Paul's letter to the Romans and in John the Baptist's message as he's out in the wilderness calling people to repentance. We are united together, and it is up to us to demonstrate the grace and mercy of God made known in our own lives so that others might know the grace and mercy and love of God. I want to end this homily with a joke. This joke is about Brother Martin, who died, and he went to heaven, and he met St. Peter there at the pearly gates. And St. Peter welcomed him and said, Brother Martin, I want you to tell me all that you did in your life, and I will give it a point value. And when you reach 100 points, the pearly gates will open and you may enter into eternity with God. So Brother Martin agreed. And he started off, I was head usher at my church for 50 years. And St. Peter said, very good. That's worth two points. <laughs> Brother Martin went on. He said, I was married to the same woman for 65 years and never cheated on her once. Excellent. That's worth three points. Only three points, Brother Martin said. Okay, well, I also started a soup kitchen in the inner city and volunteered at a homeless shelter. Excellent, St. Peter said. That's another two points. At which, exasperated, Brother Martin said, Two points? At this rate, the only way I'm going to get into heaven is by the grace of God. And St. Peter said, Come on in. We are who we are because of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. We have been made new because of the mercy and love and forgiveness known in Christ in our own lives. We need to go out into the world sharing this, 
because we must not rest on our laurels in these end times, however long they last. But empowered by the transforming love and mercy of God in our own lives, we become agents of the same as we enter into the world, sharing with others, letting them know that, yes, God really is this good, so that all people might come into the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God, having seen it reflected in our lives as his followers. Amen.